This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by PurgeSure Home Security Systems. Use offer code Cemetery at checkout for two and a half percent off your new purge protection plan today. Have a safe night with PurgeSure, and blessed be the new founding fathers and America, a nation reborn. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And this episode is coming out on the night of March 21st, 2022, which is the night of The Purge, at least the one that's represented in the movie The Purge from 2013. So we're going to go on this sort of theme of violence in a community, I guess. <laughs> Crazy people killing other people. And how people choose to respond to that violence. Sure. So our modern movie, of course, 2013's The Purge, but also 1985's The New Kids as our classic film. The original The Purge is almost 10 years old. It's almost 10 years old, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get right into our first movie, 1985's The New Kids, directed by Sean S. Cunningham of Friday the 13th fame, and a screenplay by Stephen Gyllenhaal, and story by Stephen Gyllenhaal and Brian Taggart. Yes, yes that's right. that Gyllenhaal. Yes. <laughs> Maggie and Jake's dad. That's right. <laughs> it stars Shannon Presby, Lori Laughlin, James Spader, Eric Stoltz, John Philbin, and Eddie Jones. Yeah, you heard that. James Spader and Eric Stoltz. Yes. That's right. <laughs> and yes, it's Lori Laughlin from Operation Varsity Blues. <laughs> That's what they called that, by the way. The you know, the rich people lying about their kids' academic records to get them in colleges. That chick? Yeah, the, the sister the in this, Lori La- it's Aunt Becky from Full House, yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh-huh. Her and... Uh, Rich white people. What's man. her face, I know. There's going to be a theme to this episode. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, her and um, what's her face from Desperate Housewives. Felicity Huffman, both involved in that scandal. And they're not the only ones, they're just like the celebrities, so they get pinpointed, you know. Mm-hmm. But anyway... What is the new kids about? Not at all what I was promised, but these two kids move to this new town because their parents die. And the local gang decides to go after them. But what the local gang doesn't understand is that these two kids come from a colonel, a, a, a military life. Yeah. So they're ready for them. They have a theme song. (laughs) (laughs) The movie is available to rent for $4 and buy for $13. Should people watch The New Kids? It is certainly not essential viewing. No, no. But if if it was ever on, which it never will be. It never will be. I wouldn't, like, I wouldn't be opposed to having it on in the background. I wouldn't recommend you not watch it. Exactly, like... (laughs) 
But you need to know that it is one of those movies. It's like a tamer version of Last House on the Left or I well, Spit on Your Grave. Because apparently Sean S. Cunningham helped yeah. him produce that movie. So, But that's what I'm talking Like, it's, you know, there's there are people, just human beings, not like, you know evil that cannot be killed or whatever, but just fucking human beings doing awful, real things to real people in this movie. And so, like, you need to be aware of that. Like, it might be a little hard to watch for certain people. So, you know, but content warning on all that. there's much out there. There is. Well, like, I, I mean, even, hell, Last House on the Left is, is, much w- is much worse. Yes. And it also turns the ending into more of a comedy than this does, which is <laughs> bizarre. We haven't covered Last House on the Left yet. But, yeah, you just need to know that there's some intense stuff in this movie. It's not great. But it's not But it's not bad. I mean, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't recommend you avoid it or anything. Yeah. You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 1985's The New Kids. They are brother and sister alone. I said Mac and Mom are dead. Killed in a car crash. On their own. Without parents without friends, trying to make it in a new town. Something bothering you, cousin? No, nothing ever bothers me. Facing a dangerous new enemy. I can get it. Says who? Says me and 50 bucks. A gang that will stop at nothing to add one new word to their lives. Terror. From the director of the original Friday the 13th comes a new ticket to terror. Striking back. You want crazy? I'll show you crazy. Kelsey, I'm not even going to ask. I need to talk about this. (laughs) The New Kids begins with Tom Adkins in bed with a lady again because he just can't stop. Love, love, love Tom Atkins. He is not long for this world, though. No, he's going to die really early and off screen. Yeah. But he's going to get a ridiculous montage with his children. Wait, can we talk about how he smacked his daughter's ass and said she had a hot bod? Sexy bod. We're going to practice with live ammo today, Major. (laughs) Colonel, Colonel now, sweetheart. Remember that. Keep that in the forefront of that skull. It means more greenbacks to buy designer jeans for this sexy little bod. Come on, let's go. It's so weird. I'm like, whoa, wait, whoa, what? (laughs) It's funny because the beginning of this scene reminded me of Beethoven and how the dad, like, forces his family to all get up really early Uh on a Saturday. But then this movie goes further than that and it turns into a rocky montage of them. Yeah, these kids just love working out with their dad. Yes. Going on a run to... Stand Up by Bill Ray, and we are going to hear this song at least three times in this movie. And 
and this montage is just it goes on way too long. You get the same shot of them running at the beginning of the scene and at the end of the scene. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> and at the end, he says, "What do I always say?" And the kids go, "You got to be strong. It's a jungle out there." How do we do, Colonel? How do we do? We did great. <laughs> Let's eat. Oh. You're gonna make it, kids. You gotta be strong. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a jungle out there. Living in suburbia. Well, no, they live on a they live on a military base. But when their parents die, yeah, they die in a car live. accident. He gets some medal of valor from the president because what did he do? He stopped a hostage situation or something or I Oh yeah, no. Don't know. Somebody was hijacking a plane and threatening to crash it and he and he stopped that situation. And then he just died in a car crash. And then crash. he just died in a car crash on the way home. As a matter of fact, it's on TV. The kids and all their friends are getting together to watch their dad get a medal. Uh and it's on TV and as they're watching it, they get the call that they died on the way home. I don't want to start any blasphemous rumors. I think that God's got a sixth sense of humor. <laughs> so, at the funeral, they get approached by... It's a weird sort of subplot. There's another colonel or something like He's, that. It's barely even important. He doesn't show up to help them or anything, which is what I thought they were going to do. Yeah, but I mean, he sort of offers up, hey, if you need anything, I'll be there. And he's going to come up as important. At the very end. Well, sort of sort of is important to a decision that these kids are going to have later. But he doesn't actually do anything per se. No. But more importantly is their uncle Charlie, who shows up and is like, hey... I live in Florida, and I'm starting up a theme park. You guys want to come? Yeah, but he's not going to, like, take them. He's going to force them to go on this bus trip, which apparently uh really sucks. And also, it happens to be in, like, this town where there's this awful, awful gang ruling it. Yeah. And for some reason, the park is called Santa's Funland, and they're not going to go into that. That's not going to be part of anything, but it's just going to be Santa-themed. I mean, the thing about Santa is that he's not owned by anybody. Anybody can make a Santa-themed anything, so it's great marketing. There are those sort of, you know, events like Santa's Village and shit like that. We got him here in California. When he picks them up from the bus station, he has this car. It's a Cadillac. It's a Caddy, yeah. And it's this big red beautiful car and, uh-huh. he, and he says and no extravagance was spared on this here vehicle spared no expense spared no expense <laughs> yes yes but so there's this big petting zoo which i was like oh i would absolutely love to live on a petting zoo yeah uh-huh be so cool and of course she has this rabbit that she loves that obviously is going to die a la fatal attraction yeah I think Fatal Attraction stole that. You think? <laughs> when was Fatal Attraction? Early 90s? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. But so they're living, he puts them in like this like barn and forces them to stay in the same room. Yeah, they get to share a bedroom and they comment on that. And the brother, Lauren, is like, oh, we could just put up a curtain and it'll be okay. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but <laughs> you guys are going to be fucking like not each other. I mean, like, the point is, you're going to have significant others. Oh, they both do before the end of the movie. Before the end of the movie. They're both going to get the perfect boyfriend and girlfriend. 
I gotta say, Eric Stoltz looks like a fucking goober in this movie. <laughs> I've always thought Eric Stoltz was very good looking, so I don't know. No, he is a fucking goober in this movie. I think he's good looking, but he doesn't help in any way. And it's like, no, oh, he's I like would... a non entity. Right. And if she's this military daughter that can take care of herself, which she certainly can, yeah. I don't know that she would be attracted to a guy that would be so ineffective. Well, he's out of this entire town, he is the one human being. Who approaches her and just, like, treats her like a normal-ass person. Everyone, like, literally everyone that approaches her is a son of a bitch, except for Eric Stoltz. (laughs) When we do get to first meet him, it's in a classroom setting. And I think that of all the movies we have watched on this show, showing a classroom setting, this is... One of the more realistic ones. Yeah, uh-huh. A lot of kids are not paying attention. Uh-huh. The teacher is very irritated when the girl has no idea what the answer is and just gives the answer because fuck it. Uh-huh. Like it just it <laughs> felt very, very real. Like I was like, okay, finally. Uh-huh. So I think the Gyllenhaals know what it's like to be in school. <laughs> that same day at school, these kids will be so like Perfectly nice and and standing in line for drinking water yeah, at the uh-huh. water fountain. I was like, was there ever a time? Was that a thing? Yeah. And they're all being very patient and waiting. And the gang shows up. And they try to get a rise out of her brother. Dutra and Gideon. So Dutra is James Spader. He's kind of the crazy leader. And then there's Gideon, who's sort of like his right-hand man. Now, Gideon, we know... Gideon is John Philbin. We've seen on this show a couple of times. He is Chuck in Return of the Living Dead. This is our second episode in a row with somebody from Return of the Living Dead. But he's also Amos in Children of the Corn. Which one's Amos? Isn't that the one who gets married? He's like 17 and there's the wedding in the church. Oh my god, yes! I knew uh I recognized that guy! Yes! And he's all like stoked about getting uh, like cut up and shit. Yes! uh Yeah. Oh my god, I knew I recognized him. But they cannot get a rise out of this kid, because like we have said many times, he's a military boy. He knows how to handle this shit. Yeah. And he very obviously says, nothing ever bothers me. Like, and, you know, trying to say, like, you can't win. And they go, I wouldn't bet on that. We find out that this group has a fighting dog. That they have trained. Oh, my God. And yes, these things, like, you can see it coming from a mile away, but I feel like maybe at the time you couldn't have. Maybe. The rabbit became famous from Fatal Attraction. Did they steal it from this? I don't know. The fact that this dog is going to bite off the face of its owner... Did Game of Thrones steal that from this? I don't know. Right, but I mean, killing an animal as like a threat and to fuck with somebody, that's been around for a long time. I mean, there's the horse head and Godfather. Like, it's it's a thing. But having your this own animal to be a rabbit. eat your own people. Yes. Uh-huh. Did Game of Thrones steal that? Oh, well, I don't know about steal. <laughs> there's an irony to it, which people like. It's poetic. It. I gotta say, this movie is very much... Like a a sort of fantasy. Like, you know, it's, hey, you do everything right and you stay cool and they can't get to you until they they take it too far. And then you're given permission to beat them up. 
And then you're like, okay, now we're even, and you're being the cool, even-handed person, and then they, again, take it too far, and now you're given permission to defend yourself and kill them. Like, that's what this movie is kind of all about. That's the thread this is going to take. And it is very much like a fantasy for the Lauren character here, being like the perfect guy and always justified in any action he takes, always the cooler head. He is the sort of, like, ideal sort of ubermensch. Yes, there is no point in this film where you're going to be like, okay, okay, you can stop now. Like, you know, it's kind of like The Last House on the Left. There is no part of you at the end of that movie that's like, whoa. You've taken this too far. Yeah, like, no, no. like, you're perfectly like, yeah, yeah, they, they deserve all that. Yeah, it allows you to do something that might be violent or a little nutty and... Everyone's okay with it. Which, funny enough, the Purge will say no to. And right. I get why. It, it comes at the same topic from the other side. Right. And I get why, but it's not nearly as satisfying. Well, yeah. It doesn't feel of as course good not. at the end. Of course not. While we're talking about the dog, they are going to be doing shooting practice, which I think is hilarious because they are all crack shots here. Uh-huh. And nobody can hit the broadside of a barn later on in the movie. Yeah, they yeah. can't get any <laughs> shots later. I'm just like, what happened? <laughs> um, I thought you were leading to something with also, this. Also, does anyone carry a, like a handgun in the end of the movie? They're all carrying shotguns at the end of the movie. Yeah, but they're just, that's simply, they're counting on the audience to not know yeah, okay. the difference, I think. Because they don't handle them like shotguns both of these movies are also going to have zero consideration for ammo counts like no consideration for it (laughs) which is funny because i felt like the purge was trying to not be fantastical yeah but like they have like a riot shotgun which carries like six to ten rounds and he fires a lot more than that (laughs) but so they're kind of it's a weird thing i think they thought this movie was going to be bigger than it was they definitely are setting up for a sequel. There is this character. He is oh, their younger the brother, brother. Gideon's younger brother. Yeah. Uh-huh. Who he will fire at and he'll be like, that wasn't cool. And then later somebody will fire at him at the guy who did that to him. He'll be like, that wasn't cool. Uh-huh. I thought that was kind of funny. There is no sequel. They're trying to set up for a sequel. Well, just the potential for a sequel. Lots of movies do that. You know, and at the very least leave you with this sort of disquiet, right? I think like, Cunningham was hoping for a Friday the 13th. And I mean, Friday maybe, the 13th, this was not. Sure. But, but I mean, at the very least, even if it's standalone, it's saying, hey, at the end of this movie, don't walk away thinking everything is just fine. They haven't solved any problem. They solved the immediate problem, but there's a larger problem at play here. They will bet on who the girl will sleep with, and I thought this felt very much like Christine, but funny enough, in Christine, you're supposed to like these characters. And I was like, no, see, right there, that just makes you a fucking asshole. Yeah, totally. And it's hilarious, they have money on this, and then one of the characters, like Joe Bob or something, yes, there is a character named Joe Bob. Yes, there is. Bets that neither of them will ever get to sleep with her. Yeah, there's this whole little subplot that Joe Bob is gonna, like, defect or do something against the yeah, group. Yeah, he never does. And it doesn't go anywhere. No. But he's he is sort of, they do, I think, a pretty good job of making this gang... You know, you have, like, the crazy one, the dumb muscle, the... I guess there's two kinds of crazy ones. Like, Dutra's kind of crazy, but he's, like, a 
like a sinister sort of insane. And then there's Moon, Mooney, who is like the <laughs> kind of crazy guy. Which one's that? He's the one that pees on Lauren. Oh. <laughs> But yeah, there's so there's like there's everyone has a different role to play in this, and I think do they do a pretty Dutra good job. Do you think Dutra would have shot him like the guy does in the Purge? Yes. So if Dutra is the, the polite the purger, then Mooney is the one who gets shot. The the noisy <laughs> purger, or whatever it is, his name is. Yeah. Uh-huh. But anyway, I forgot about that. <laughs> Legitimately, I was like, wow, when that happened. Um, but but my point is is that. They do this bet, and then both Gideon and Dutra, like, immediately try once, one time. It's like, hey, do you want to go out with me? And she's like, I don't know you. And they're like, well, fuck you! And they, like, totally ruin their chances with her. It's like, dude, just say, oh, well, then, you know, let's get to know each other or whatever. Like, they are not interested. Well, again, Christine says the exact same thing. I think that what what you're missing here is that... Men uh, just yeah no they suck, suck. they suck yes Christine uh-huh. does the exact same thing a guy you are supposed to like in that movie says want to go out with me she says no he says why not uh huh like fuck you for saying right. no like and we are like supposed the dude at the beginning of fresh like that yeah, guy uh-huh. yes yeah like men suck <laughs> and even male writers realize that yeah and what Dutra's thing is. Is it Dutra or is it Gideon that says, you want crazy? Well, I'll show you crazy. Crazy? You want crazy? Well, I'll show you crazy. You want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. Now you want to get nuts? Come on. Let's get nuts. Was that before or after this? Uh, That's 89, so it's after this. Ah! Uh-huh. This movie, this movie, guys, it's filled with cliches that were not cliches yet. <laughs> Cut to when he does ask her out, Dutra. God, I hate that name. Yeah, it's such a stupid name. <laughs> stupid ass name. Gideon uh, is a great name. Yes. <laughs> anyway, I guess of originally, their uncle just owned a gas station. Well, and he bought all this land. It's a gas station plus Santa's fun land. Fun land. But so Abby is selling tickets to Funland, but also managing the gas. Yes, uh huh. And that's when Dutra hits on her. Like, how are you? What kind of a? Jo- oh, I don't understand. Anyway, this is when Dutra will ask her, and he says, "Go to the dance with me." And she says, "Why?" And he goes, "Because I'm asking." And she goes, "So." And he's like, you will have a good time. And she goes, I'm really sorry, but we haven't actually met. And he goes, I'm asking you nicely. I'm Dutra. Do you know what that means? And he's being very, very creepy. And I think that James Spader does a really good job. And this is like super early in his film career. Like he's done other things, but this is one of his first like major motion pictures. This is before Pretty in Pink. Pretty in Pink was the year after. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of a watered-down version of this character uh-huh. in that movie. And then there's, uh, what's the other one? We just talked about it. I don't know, but if you're thinking, that's weird. James Spader was a teen in a movie written by Hall. Huh, that seems odd, because wasn't James Spader Hall's 
boss in secretary yes yes maggie gyllenhaal yes. yeah he's way too old for her yes <laughs> well i mean that i don't think that that secretary is making a comment on how how appropriate the relationship is less than zero where he's the drug dealer in less than zero he's a drug dealer in this it's just like he has this look about him and this was before that yeah less than zero was 87 yeah, he has this very sinister side to him. And it's very sexy, I must say. He has this boys from Brazil blonde look to him. I was going to say he has a pony boy blonde look to him. <laughs> but yeah, no, he's very, very creepy. And I think he does a good job. We get some shots of the school, just, you know, B shots, B roll. And I couldn't help but notice that one of the teenagers has this Garfield um, notebook. And I was like, oh, my God, it's so 80s. Dude, Garfield was fucking huge. <laughs> he was a marketing empire. I love Garfield. I have a Garfield. Stepped in. You do? Yeah. Uh -huh. Next, Gideon hits on her. Yeah, and he's super gross about it. He, like, he gets all close to her and Although, at the library. Line, yes, great line. He says to her as if this is some sort of threat. I ain't going to ask you again. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty funny. But my issue here, and same issue with, with what happens at the dance... Where are the teachers? Yeah, there are no teachers fucking anywhere in this school. They yeah. didn't hire a single adult to act on this set. <laughs> yeah, like... Except for that one scene you mentioned earlier. Well, the scene where they're at the fucking water fountain, too. It just doesn't yeah. make any damn sense. There are no adults. It's not like adults are just like, eh, it's kids being kids. Like, no, they're just... They just don't exist. They do not show up. They are not yeah. there. Especially at a dance. A place that is supposed to be explicitly chaperoned. <laughs> when she says I don't want to go out with you he says do you think you're too good for me and she says I'm not interested in finding out I yeah I liked that line she's too. great she's awesome yeah she I, I and she even says do you want me to call a teacher and I'm just like you shouldn't fucking have to at this point uh-huh someone especially in a library a library in the 80s are you kidding me <laughs> but I'm telling you she goes out with the first guy who isn't a creep to her Yes, Eric Stoltz, because he was sweet to her in math class. Uh -huh. He tried to give her the answer, and she wouldn't take it. Uh -huh. And she kind of, and she, you know, again, it's not immediate. It's not, like, instantaneous. Oh, you tried to give me the answer? I'll take it, and now we're dating. She yeah. gives him, him a little bit of a hard time, too. Yeah. And it's because he's polite and sweet and uh -huh. waits and is patient uh -huh. that she's like, okay, right. maybe you do matter. But then again, yeah, how good are her... What good are her cha like choices here? Right, yeah. It's kind of a shit. The best guy at the school is Lauren. And throughout this movie, he's going to become more and more popular. I told you, it's a fantasy for Lauren, right? Like, it's his fantasy. Everyone loves him at the school by the end of the movie, and all the girls want to be with him. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? There's another weird subplot going on where her brother... Lauren. Lauren decides to give all the money to their uncle. Because he's struggling and he needs to buy a generator so the park can be open at night. And then they can make more money that way. And there's a small fight between Abby and Lauren 
She's like, you just gave away our money without even talking to me about it. And he's like, well, it's not even that much. We did. We weren't left that much and they need it. And we're living here. They're our family. Still, you should have talked to her about it. Like, I get it, Lauren. It's probably the nice and right thing to do. But you should have talked to her about it. Yes. But then that will go nowhere. It goes nowhere. They get their money back. Yeah. Why? Well, I think it's a way for to show that Charlie, by the end of the movie, is going to be successful. Ah, you know, ah, I see. But so the first big offense they're going to do because the girl said no to them and because they couldn't get a rise out of Lauren at the water fountain, they decide to destroy the funland. They tag it with spray uh-huh. paint, sp- spray paint and they destroy their fence. Yeah. And stuff like that. But they can't prove who it was. But my thing is like, don't you not have to prove it? Can't you just call the cops and say, I'm pretty sure it's this person and they look into it? Yeah, but what are they going to find? They could look in their car, see if they have the spray paint. Yeah, uh huh. but they don't. I think the point, I don't, well, I don't think the movie's making a point about this necessarily, but I think what the movie is saying is that the cops hate these kids, but there's nothing they can do about them. And you just need to accept that as a given. That just seems ridiculous. Yeah, no, totally. And they but seem the sheriff, completely pointless. The and sheriff inept. does show up, but really that's just a vehicle to get his daughter there who has a crush on Lauren and they're going to start dating. There needs to be a lack of justice in order for Lauren to come in and exact his own revenge justice. It just, it's just ridiculous. Every time they're on screen, you're just like, why are you even in the fucking movie? Why just, why even have them in the uh-huh. goddamn movie? Like, except to just be like, look at how stupid cops are. Like, yeah, I get it. What's your, like, what? I'm telling you, it's, it's like a, the movie's like a Death Wish or a Charles Bronson film, but for teenagers, you know, you're just given an excuse to be able to exact justice on your own, but in order for that to happen, there needs to be a lack of justice. So I guess the sheriff's daughter is the one that likes... Lauren, yeah. Lauren, mm-hmm. and who they're going to end up, he's going to end up with. But she, like, full on gets up on the ladder behind oh, him. Oh, no, it and is, is explicit like, how him? much she's flirting with him. Let me just hold these this plank of wood for you. And then, like, bodies pressed up against each other. There, I have your wood. It's very strange. <laughs> I'm, I'm holding your wood. <laughs> and her, fa- her sheriff father is right there. Like, it's very strange. But... Toward the end of their conversation, when they get down from the ladder, this music is going to start, and it's really, really sappy. The music in this movie is terrible. Yes. So they have to go into town to get paint to cover up the spray paint. Well, they happen to park right in front of where the gang is eating. Yeah, so they go into this paint store, buying all this paint, and while they're not looking... Dutra and Gideon and the guys key the Cadillac. And again, the cops are just like, well, the cops show report? up. Yeah. And they know it's them. And they are like, hey, do you want to make a report? And they're like, no, because they know there's no way they can prove it. Nobody and saw besides it. Which, and... Besides which, Lauren has his own plan to take care of business. Yes. And this is like the first instance where it's like, oh, my God. 
I get to do something badass and terrible if I wasn't justified. <laughs> so he shows up at Dutra's house in the middle of the night. Meanwhile, Charlie is devastated that his caddy has been keyed, by the way. <laughs> he shows up at Dutra's house in the middle of the night, breaks into his bedroom, and holds him down, ties him up. By the way, Dutra is sleeping like Sting in David Lynch's Dune, like a blonde man in a Speedo, you know what I mean? Yes, with his gorgeous, <laughs> like, model body being uh, lit, lit up by the w- window light. Like, the it's moonlight just, yeah, from it's, outside. It's and he's got his, his arms tied behind his back. <laughs> so his torso is all stretched out. and Yeah. <laughs> And he's got a sock shoved in his mouth. And and Lauren holds the knife to him and is like, I basically, I will fuck you up. You are paying for the damage that you caused. And then we are calling it even. And so he, he finds his stash of weed and coke and pills and shit like that. Finds the money. And he doesn't even take all of it. He doesn't money. take all of it. He leaves it. He just takes what it will take to fix up the Santa's Funland and repaint the car and is like there we're even this is done and he leaves and of course Dutra can't stand for that oh no absolutely not and when he first goes to his group and he's like we're gonna get them tonight the rest of the group doesn't really understand because they don't know what what happened to him and that's when this whole subplot about the guy who's like I don't think we should do that and then they're like I'm going to kill you. Okay. Like, oh, all right. <laughs> what was the point of that? But all right. So what they do is they, instead of getting back at Lauren. Well, no, something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Some, they do kill, something to Abby. They right? kill Abby's rabbit. Oh, yeah. And Dutra, we know because it's his shoes. Yes. Dutra breaks into her bathroom while she's, while she's showering. shower. Does not look at her, by the way, I will add. Throws he the rabbit just throws at her. the dead rabbit in the shower with her and she freaks out. And so Lauren then gets to beat the shit out of Gideon. And then when all the guys team up on him and Gordo is like holding his arms behind his back, he gets to just wipe the floor with every one of them. Yes. And it's this righteous thing. And then everyone who's watching cheers. <laughs> so, okay. He's now humiliated us privately and publicly. Yes. We have to do something. He's kicked their asses multiple times. Meanwhile, Lauren has only ever done this in response to something that they have done and just is trying to be eye for an eye, sort of like, no, we're just going to make it even and then you guys fucking knock it off. I'm not going to take more than you deserve. But he's feeling great, and he's at P.E., and I gotta say, there was a time when people would practice their golf swing during P.E.? I guess. And, like, everyone's out on this field at the same time doing random shit. There are the cheerleaders who are practicing, there are people running laps, it's just, you know, the whole place is just dense with folks doing just whatever. But so he There's goes. There's a mat for a high jump. Yes, <laughs> that they all just hang out on. Yes. Uh... So he goes to the bathroom and gets peed on. Yeah, by Mooney, and then gets his ass kicked, just kicked, and then he's like rolling on the floor. I was like, dude, Mooney just peed there. <laughs> well, I mean, Dutra fucking strangles him. Yeah. Uh huh. He but... grabs him and he almost passes out, like like thumb and fingers around his uh, his throat. And Gideon keeps kicking him and stuff, and he's all bloody in the nose and everything. And, like, I don't think he breaks his arm, but something, like, he sprains it or something, so he has to have it in a sling. But we get another stand-up montage, 
because he's like, well, yeah, that really fucking sucked. But now I need to take this as an opportunity to exercise even more. <laughs> Do some karate poses. Yeah, the, the song and the montage are really, really bad, but it's really hilarious at the same time. Yep. Fucking his sister comes to him right before and she's like, it's so hard to be strong. And part of the music is, you gotta be strong. Well, this is where we find out that Abby called that other colonel who was at the funeral who was like their dad's friend or whatever and is like there's like something about how their life is just so fucking normal and everything's great and they just their their dog just had puppies and it devastates Abby because it's like we could have had that life and here we are with fucking our uncle Charlie <laughs> with a Santa circus <laughs> and dealing with these fuckhead backwoods rednecks but there's also, like, interlaced scenes during this montage of them with their girlfriend and boyfriend. And I'm just like, how much time is supposed to yeah, be passing right unclear. now? It's unclear. Because the dance that he asked her to go oh, to. Oh, finally happens. Happens. Yes. And I'm like, wait, wasn't that, like, only, like, a week away? Yeah. But they're acting like all this time has passed. Yep. And, and the again, dance scene is really, it's really, really, bad really bad. Because the song, it's like it's so obviously not playing where they are, and it's so obviously not the song they're dancing to. And anybody who knows how they film dance scenes, they're all dancing in silence. And yes, that would be really awkward to do. But the music in the film is supposed to make it feel real. It does not, and you can hear the people's yeah. shuffling now, feet. Hearing the shuffling isn't the problem. It's a combination of factors that creates a sort of mise-en-scene <laughs> that implies that the music is not diegetic, even though I think the filmmakers would want you to think that it is. What they've accomplished is this feeling that the, that the music is, not, is non-diegetic, and then on top of that, you can hear the shuffling of the feet. So then it just implies that, no, this is just a group of kids that are shuffling around in silence. And then the film put music over the top of it so it could have a soundtrack. But what's happening in this moment, in what the movie is trying to reflect is real life, is a bunch of kids shuffling around in silence. Yes, it is the weirdest thing. It's bad. And the dancing is really bad. It is. She does some weird dance moves. Man, the 80s. The 80s, man. And there are no teachers anywhere. Again, unchaperoned. When they get attacked by the gang, right? Yeah, so... Approached. Yeah, and she's going to go to the bathroom. She's going to get scared when somebody comes in, but it's just a girl. It's okay. Then she leaves, and it's revealed as the door swings back closed that Dutra was standing behind it, which is really creepy. As she's walking away, they're off in the distance, and she can see them, and they're just watching her. And I'm like, go back to the dance. <laughs> just you're way far away from them. Just keep going and go Start back to screaming. the dance. Something. But no, she like hides behind a wall. Like they didn't just watch her make that turn. <laughs> and then somebody comes from the other side and, and grabs her. And she's going to get kidnapped here. Yes. And I suppose that's why she's wearing regular clothes. Is it not? Yeah, she's wearing like jeans and a sweater. <laughs> to a dance. To a dance. <laughs> Whatever. So this is where, like, things are going to get kind of intense when it comes to Abby. There is going to be a rape attempt. There's going to be some very, very violent stuff that they're going to try but fail at, which is good. 
but the the implied violence is really fucking rough. They're gonna they take her to Santa's fun land or whatever. <laughs> Why is it Santa's fun land? <laughs> <laughs> it's free. You don't have to pay anybody for the license. So anyway, and they have their their fight dog who who loves blood and they have just a bowl full of blood and they've already grabbed Charlie. Their aunt, by the way, is out of town or something. They've already grabbed Charlie and tied him up and they're like putting blood on his face and they're going to let the dog go. And at one point, because she starts flipping out, they st- they pull down her pants and they put blood in her on around her crotch. And it's like what they want this dog to do is fucked well but before that they were gonna set her on fire yes oh yeah all of that they put lighter fluid all over but they didn't foresee that she would just blow out the match yeah they put the match right in front of her face and it's like i think they're just trying to threaten her at this point and then if something happens oops you know but yeah so it's well when that happens she kicks gordo full on in the dick which is a great moment it's hilarious and gordo gets the bowl full of blood in his face i think it's mooney or joe bob who's holding the dog drops the leash and it just goes straight for his jugular and kills gordo right which wouldn't he have gone wouldn't she have gone for the face yes so yeah but you just need to know that he's gonna attack gordo now this movie wants to hint at violence it does not want to show show a lot of violence that's right that's Mm -hmm. right it's about a lot of fist fights that you get you know yeah a lot of getting kicked in the nuts or something that's it which is interesting because cunningham wasn't afraid to to show violence in friday the 13th right i wonder if they just had a smaller budget or if this felt more real, so he... Oh, yeah, I'm sure this is a nothing budget. But it is rated R, so it's not like they were limited. Right, but maybe... Maybe because that was dealing with kind of a... Well, not in the first one, not in the one he did. <laughs> I was gonna say, he that's a supernatural element, but it Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't supernatural in the first one. I wonder why he was afraid to show the violence. Well, he... I don't, I don't know, I don't know. So... Spader shoots the dog. Yes, and that's okay. So, so that's similar to what happens in the purge with his friend. Yeah, it's, I don't it's, condone that kind of behavior. It's a little. I mean, you know that they had to kind of like hurt that dog a little to make this scene happen. But they very obviously, when he fires that gun, he fires the shotgun, and all the smoke comes out of it. Right, somebody is behind that dog and yanks it behind the bale of hay. And it's like, well, that probably wasn't very comfortable for that dog. But it looks like it's very obvious what's happening, but it still looks good. You know, they don't cut away to show him shooting this dog. He just does. Yeah, kills the dog because the dog killed Gordo. Mm-hmm. And while they're t- dealing with the dog, Abby and her uncle have escaped. Yeah. So they go into the fun land and she goes into like a mirror, a mirror maze where she gets one of them to think that she's standing right in front of him, uh-huh, which is really classic dumb. Classic mirror maze thing. He shoots, it's a mirror, she gets him from behind. And there is going to be a whole bunch of these people dying in really funny ways. Yeah. You know who does nothing in this in this uh, climax? The uncle? Eric Stoltz. Oh yeah, he's nowhere to be found. I'm saying, I don't know that she would be attracted to such an uh-huh. ineffective dude. Charlie, the uncle, he gets shot, and you think he's dead. He's going to live. Charlie lives. It's okay. Yes. 
One of them is going to be up on top of the Ferris wheel. That's Mooney, yeah. And Lauren is going to fix it so that the Ferris wheel just doesn't turn. The, and the car he's in doesn't rotate. So as, as the Ferris wheel turns, it's going to tip upside down. Right. And I'm kind of like, he probably could have held on. He could have held on. And even if he couldn't, he, he probably would have like broken his arm or something if he fell. He didn't fall that far. He falls to his death. And he and falls it's really on, funny. on the grass. But yes, he dies. And they got like his arm behind his yes. back. and <laughs> Very obviously posed. <laughs> So that's one, that's Mooney. Mooney's dead. Gordo's dead now. One gets electrocuted in the bumper cars. That's Joe Bob, who I think is the one she was fighting in the mirror maze. Yes. I thought she killed him in the mirror maze, but sure. I don't um, think so. How does Gideon die? Is Gideon the one who gets electrocuted? I don't know. I didn't write down their names. She goes after one of them with a piece of wood, which was pretty great. She just beats on one of them. Yeah, well, she hits... She hits Dutra off the roof. As he as he's firing at Lauren down on the ground, she climbs up onto the roof and grabs like a two by four and just whacks him several times until he falls off the roof. Well, Gideon and Lauren are fighting right by the roller coaster. Oh yes, that's how Gideon dies. Yes. <laughs> Gideon gets decapitated, which we don't no, think that that's how no, that would no, work. That would not have happened. <laughs> If you see this roller coaster, <laughs> and it, lo- it looks going like very three un- miles an hour, yeah, and it looks really unrealistic because like he he's like standing next yeah. to it, and suddenly his head's just not there. Well, and it the, just doesn't look real. The wheels are only so big in order to <laughs> in order to get through a neck, it would have to come off the rail, right? And then it would have to be derailed, which it it isn't. It just rides right over his neck and chops his head off. But anyway, so yeah, Gideon dies violently. James Spader. Dutra. Dutra is out by the gas pump. Yes. And creates a flamethrower with the gas, which I didn't know if that would be real. Chris thought it was I think you could real. probably do it. Yeah. But so it's James very dangerous, Spader don't get me wrong. Trying to go after her, and she ends up getting him from behind and gets him to do it to his own face, he does. basically. Lauren does. Oh, Lauren does? Yeah, not he's, Abby. he's threatening her. Right, because Lauren and James Spader are all wet because they're playing around with fire. Uh-huh. And it's like, why are you they suddenly see they're all glistening. wet? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, then he gets he gets set on fire and collapses on fire on the ground and the body is very much not James Spader. <laughs> you remember we saw him live and naked. Yes, this is a very different body. <laughs> but yes, he is burned alive. And the uncle uses their terror to make a lot of money, as you should. Yeah, so so we get to see him in the daytime advertising the fact that this is where the Santa's Funland Massacre happened or whatever. And you'll notice, if you're paying attention, ticket prices have gone up 50 cents. <laughs> I did not notice. It was $1 for kids, $2 for adults. Now... It's $1.50 for kids and $2.50 for adults. I see. <laughs> and they're making tons and tons of money. They pay back the loan that they took from their kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They decide that they're not going to go live with the other colonel. That's what offers. I'm saying. They're, they need that decision, so they needed to set that up as like this better I'm life. Home. Yeah, Great. this is our Your home. Your home is where you murder people. Yes. Okay. Um, Every day you're going to be thinking about how you murdered these people. But 
that the movie's not over, we get a shot of Gideon's the little brother. brother. Yep. Uh-huh. Just in case people wanted more. And we see him staring at them. So the four kids, right? So we have Lauren and his girlfriend, the sheriff's daughter. And then we have Abby and Eric Stoltz driving away in the caddy, I think. And yes, Gideon's brother watches them as Charlie is talking to the latest tour group and talking about how something about how we'll never see the likes of them again, just as Gideon's younger brother is staring menacingly as they drive away, like implying, oh, yeah, yes, you will. And then the movie ends with stand up (laughs) again. Did I did we talk about there's a there's a stand up montage reprise so when, when he's, he's getting ready when he's get, after he gets injured and he's like yeah. recuperating and stuff well, we talked about right no but it flashes back to the original montage and we see moments from the original montage interspersed with this one it's like they need to honor the memory of their father or something like that it's, well their father was Atkins they loved Talk. they loved this song stand <laughs> they fucking loved this song it's something else mm-hmm. So, Kelsey, what do you think the new kids has on Rotten Tomatoes? I guess it's like a 49. Holy shit. It is an audience score. There there are only four reviews. Oh. Um, so there is no official Rotten Tomatoes score, but I will tell you it's only one of them is positive, three or negative. Oh. But the audience score is 48%. Huh? Yes. Huh. So, do you think that that is overrated or underrated? Maybe just slightly underrated. Sure, yeah, it's underrated. I wouldn't say it's 48, but what is it? I'll give it a 58. Yeah. I think there's some good stuff here. I think, you know, it's not a great movie, but I think it's fine. I'll give it a solid 60. I was fine throughout, and some of it was legitimately disturbing, as it was intending to be. Yes, I think Spader does a good job here. Yeah. The movie's just kind of a nothing movie, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, we all knew James Spader was going to be great. Always is. Back then we didn't, but yeah, uh uh-huh. So that is our classic film, 1985's The New Kids. Moving on to our modern film, the theme of this week's episode, 2013's The Purge. Written and directed by James DeMonico, starring Ethan Hawke, Lena Headey, Reese Wakefield, and Edwin Hodge. Apparently, Ethan Hawke is good friends with Jason Blum and James DeMonico, which is why like, he's in a couple different Blumhouse films. But this is one of the early ones. And he's like, yeah, no, I'll do it for, for scale. That's kind of how Blumhouse does it they do movies like really fucking cheap and then they let the filmmaker that they have confidence in just make whatever the fuck they want they're like no notes you know just you make what you want to make which is kind of cool but they don't give them a lot of money to do it so this was made on a shoestring budget and so they pay all their actors scale but potentially depending on who they are give them a cut of the profits so he ended up making a whole fuck ton of money on this movie but He did it with no intention of making any money as like a favor to some friends, you know? Yeah, sure. I'll put my name on your movie. What is The Purge about? A look at white supremacy in America. Yeah, I mean, racism, classism, inherent in our system. There is crime gets so bad. Homelessness gets so bad. How do we solve it? 
by killing all the homeless, basically. There's there's people called the New Founding Fathers, which is a super melodramatic name. I believe it. Yeah. After what our country... Yeah, it's totally... Okay, yeah. Yeah, I believe it. Um, the New Founding Fathers sort of get elected as, like, there's no president anymore. There's now, like, a council. And the first purge happened sometime in, like, 2017. Uh, so this is five years later. It's taking place tonight. If you're listening to this, the night it comes out, it's tonight. <laughs> March a safe purge, everyone. Yeah, safe purge. March 21st, 2022. And basically for 12 hours, because it's close to the vernal equinox, it's about 12 hours of darkness, right? From 7 to 7, I think is what it is. I know it ends at 7. I didn't know when yeah, it started. Yeah, it's 12 hours. All crime is legal, including murder. Although there are people that are exempted from that, which the later movies will get into. Yes, but they don't, none of that is in this. No. Yeah, this is all, this is like a bottle episode because, again, they don't have a lot of money. It's not a proven concept. So they're just going to all take place in the house of one family who is well off in a really nice neighborhood. This was filmed in Chatsworth in Los Angeles. So like a really nice neighborhood. It's sort of, kind of, an indictment of several things, one of which is sort of this, like, neoliberal ideal of success and safety and, you know, it's this family that's profiting off of the purge because he sells security systems and it doesn't affect them directly, so... They don't really have a lot of strong feelings about the purge and what it does and who gets hurt most by it. As long as it and doesn't how unfair. affect us. Yeah, and it doesn't affect them. And we're not hurting anybody. If you think this movie is not an indictment of our main characters, you are absolutely wrong. I think it mostly wants to indict them. E- exactly. And you might not have even watched the movie, I think, is the problem if you think that. Because the movie very explicitly does sort of indict this family and what their status quo is. It also has something to say about what people will do to maintain that status quo, regardless of what awful, awful things the status quo may be. That's more important than, say, justice. We're talking about justice again. Right. And it's these people that allow this to happen. Yes. Right. You're always going to have the crazy, evil bastards that we need to fight against. But it's the people who choose not to fight. Yeah. That just, I can't stand people that just say, I'm not. Involved? I yeah. Hate that. It takes directly interacting with a real human who is who is affected by what the purge means for them to realize, like, look at us and look at what we're doing. The movie literally says, look at what you're doing. You know? And so it's I, I think it's really interesting. I don't think it's very complex, but yeah, you can watch it on HBO Max or Max Go, DirecTV or Spectrum. You can rent it for $4 and buy it generally for 12 to 15 It's cheapest on AMC On Demand. Should people watch The Purge? Yes. Yeah, it's quick and painless, really. It's an hour and a half. And uh, it's good it, and it's it entertaining. has a lot of good points yeah. to make. It's not going to like blow your mind in terms of filmmaking. I will say I am impressed with what they were able to do in such a a limited amount of space and with a limited amount of money. And yeah, I think it makes some good points. And I think it's a kind of a point of view that people need to hear. It is definitely an indictment of America. 
Mm-hmm. And suburbia and yeah, so middle class white folks. So if you're saying America, you're not going to like. You're not going to like this movie at all. As a matter of fact, the very, very, very last thing that this movie says out loud is, "I was a proud American. I was a proud American. Now I am I'm not. not anymore." Yeah. So, yeah. If that's going to bother you, don't watch this movie. <laughs> yeah. And you probably don't want to listen to us because we're going to talk about how right it is. Right. Totally. <laughs> It's kind of like Jonathan Swift's modest proposal I've heard it compared to. You remember when we went to that church in Ireland, right? That was in Ireland, right? That like where Jonathan Swift's body was interred, the guy who wrote Gulliver's Travels, and we saw his death mask there. He wrote a modest proposal, which I think some people don't realize is humorous satire. But basically the modest proposal is that, hey, we need to deal with homelessness and the poor. So here's what we do. Poor mothers sell their babies to the rich. And then the rich eat the babies. And it's like, okay, well, they get their protein that they need. There's a famine going on or whatever. And the poor get paid. And then we we have less poor because we're eating the babies. Like, you know, it's so it's it's kind of like that. Obviously, he's joking. And he's saying that this is ridiculous. But practical folk might see like oh yeah no that's mutually beneficial all around but obviously that's not okay and that's kind of what this movie is saying it doesn't fucking matter what the benefits of the purge are it's horrific is the point yes would you say that this movie is saying the same thing as get out and society well i think there are nuances between them i mean get out is sort of like the false allyship right of the Middle and upper classes, upper middle class, lower upper class. Um, Which is kind of what's happening here. We, you know, we don't hurt you. But it's it's, but it's less about allyship. With, right. with Get Out, it is specifically about allyship. Yes. Society, there's a little bit more direct action by the villains, by the people that the movie is indicting, right? Whereas this... They are literally eating the poor. Yes. Consuming <laughs> it's the poor. Consuming them. <laughs> This is more sort of like, it doesn't matter if you're not participating in it, you are profiting off of it. And because you're profiting off of it, you want to maintain the status quo. And that is perpetuating this problem. You are contributing to this problem, whether you like it or not. It's not, you can't just say, well, I don't control all of this. I might as well take care of myself and my family. No, that is perpetuating the problem. And so they're saying a slightly different things. About the same topic. Apparently, the story about why this movie happened is DeMonico, the writer-director, and his wife were driving one day, and a driver cut them off, nearly ran them off the road, and he got into this, like, road rage incident with the guy, and the guy was like, well, fuck it, whatever. And he was so absolutely enraged, DeMonico was, and his wife commented uh, like just made this offhand comment well, wouldn't it be great if murder was just legal one day a year or you had one legal murder a year. yeah or something like that and he says like she is such a sweet woman but that thought still occurred to her right and he himself was like so consumed with this rage that like yeah what would it be like if murder was allowed for one night a year what would people do? What would otherwise normal quote unquote people do when they were allowed to release the beast? And then that kind of led to the sort of societal commentary, uh, specifically on American society. 
Yeah, which <laughs> I liked that there was one little joke in there that they didn't really talk about at all much. Uh, like, like, I'm going to go after my boss. Yeah. He's got it coming. Uh. You know, like, <laughs> that's what I would expect this day to be, yeah. is people getting back at people. Like, well, and and the they, movie, do, they do do that at the yeah. end, but like the majority of this is rich white people wanting to kill off poor people. And I yes. totally agree with that, and I totally understand that. Like, I get the point you're and, making. And other people that have the resources to abstain from that night, whereas homeless people or poor people do not have the resources to abstain. But I imagine that a lot of this would be people getting back at people yes. that they just hate uh-huh. every day. This in their could lives. have very easily just been a comedic horror movie of normal ass people going crazy and killing their bosses or whatever, <laughs> but it's not. Right. Because it realized there's something to say here. Yes. And, you know, regardless of whether or not the movie is good, it does comment on something that is important. I think it's both. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Want to thank Mr. Minifig for recommending The Purge to us. Sorry that you wanted us to watch it with another movie. If I had seen that, I would have had us do that. I'm A- sorry. Escape from New York. My bad. No, it's fine. Escape from New York is not the same thing. Like, I see why you might combine them, but... Is it a horror movie? I didn't think it was a horror. That was just an action. It's more an action movie, yeah. But still, I think the new kid sort of embodies more of what The Purge is doing as well. Sort of righteous, vindicated revenge, you know? Vindication! 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 You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 2013's The Purge. Reminder, the annual purge has commenced. For the next 12 hours, all crime is legal. Emergency services will be suspended. Anybody tries to come in, you blast them. Everything is going to be okay. Nothing is going to be okay again. The purge, rated R. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does The Purge begin? The movie, not the actual Purge. Or both, I guess. With some statements explaining the history, explaining that it's America 2022, Mm -hmm. uh, and that somehow violence doesn't really exist anymore, and unemployment is at an all-time low, all crime has ended, and you're just like, well, that doesn't make any damn sense. But you just gotta kind of let that go. You have to accept some of the logic in order for this movie to make sense, because it is a very simple premise. What if people were allowed to do whatever they want one day a year? Okay, how would that be rational? Well, I guess if it solved some sort of social problem, then it could be realistic that people might implement that if you twist your brain a little bit. That's, you're gonna have to twist your brain a little bit. The idea is that, well, if we're killing people, whoever we want, the people who can't protect themselves are the most likely to die. Those people are the homeless and other disadvantaged people. And those are also the people most likely to be unemployed. Your unemployment rates go down. Like, so, yes, you can say unemployment is at 1%. Crime is at an all-time low. Violence barely exists, with one exception. Blessed be the new founding fathers for letting us purge and cleanse our souls. Blessed be America, a nation reborn. By the way, this is a comma splice on the screen. (laughs) 
Also, not a big fan of the casual cultiness of it all. Blessed be the new founding fathers. Like, I do not believe that the entire population of America, or at least, you know, I believe that some people believe some weird stuff and that, yes, totally. But enough to where blessed be the new founding fathers, like, they're saying... I believe it. They're saying that... This country is insane. Right. But imagine how much the country changed in a in a short amount of time. This is even further. <laughs> Not by a lot. <laughs> and and there's a general like acceptedness of the purge by this point. This is what five years into the purge. The first one was 2017. This is 2022, and like the way this country does not care at all about. I know. You have to accept that this is an exaggeration for effect. But it is rooted in something real. I think it's, I do not think it is far off. I do not think that this is that, like, I don't think that this future is not possible. Just like I don't think the future from Handmaid's Tale is all that mm-hmm. far off. I for- firmly believe that this country is insane and that this <laughs> shit could actually happen. And the only way it's not going to happen is if we remain vigilant and we do not become complacent like the people in this film did. Absolutely. Definitely. There's a caller on the radio show that our main character, James Ethan Hawke, is listening to on his way home. It says the poor can't afford to protect themselves. They're the real victims. And this is going to be a point that is sort of a setup for the inciting incident for the rest of this particular movie. But the idea with The Purge is that the police not protecting you because the crime being committed against you is legal is sort of already a reality for a lot of people, right? Like the homeless, especially, you know, the people that might be disabled or neurodivergent or like these are the the people that are different, in quotes, are the ones most likely to come to harm in today's world. Yes. And they're the least likely to be protected by the authorities. Exactly. The people in our current society who we all look at and we're like, wow, isn't our government, isn't their whole purpose like to protect and help these people? Not at all. Not in any way, shape or form. In fact, if they could, they would get rid of them, which is exactly what this movie is saying. Exactly. And like we said, it's sort of bookended by radio call-ins, right? The first one being... The poor can't afford to protect themselves. They're the victims tonight. We all got our own opinions. That's what makes this country great. And then the last one being... I lost my two sons last night. My boys. I was a proud American. Not anymore. This country is taking everything from me. And of course, after that, the radio show host feels the need to say, you know... Everyone's entitled to their opinions. That is how I feel as a teacher. That is exactly how I feel as a teacher. I cannot comment on kids, really. And I can't say you're absolutely right, because then I'll get the parents who are crazy (laughs) getting mad at me. And that is, that's really scary about our country. Mm -hmm. And again, you might be thinking, well, doesn't that make you complacent? Well, kind of. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Uh But I risk my job... And hey, my job certainly does not profit off of the sadness of others. My profit, I have no profit. I try to help these people. That's all I do. 
We also learn while Ethan Hawke, James, is in his car that uh, he and his team, he's trying to be magnanimous. He is not like a, a selfish person, right? He's not taking credit for everyone on his team's work. They have won some sort of sales competition leading up to the close of business, the night of the purge. They sold the most security systems. Yes, of course, that those sales rely 100% mm-hmm. on people being afraid of yes. this night and what could happen to them. So the idea like, that people profit that capitalism sets up a system that people profit off of things that should be fixed and shouldn't exist, you know, like oh, well let's just profit off of it like you know, for instance, oil prices going up means gas prices are going up. The price at the pump right now that I just filled my tank is over $6. And I guarantee you that these gas companies are going to record record profits this year. So you can't just say, well, it's a necessity because the price of oil has gone up. Yeah, they're just using that excuse to make more money, just like this security company is that James works for. And they try to like set it up to where you might like this guy. Like I say, they try to make him a little bit magnanimous. He's charming. He gives credit to the other people on his team, you know, etc. He's a family man. Like, all he wants to do yeah. is keep his family happy and safe and provide. That's what he wants to do. But he doesn't care that that requires other people to be living horrible right. lives. The movie wants to set him up as a character that you like, only to reveal to you that the things that you find acceptable about him and his behavior actually probably aren't the best. And that's why it's, that's the social commentary that the movie is giving to you. Uh, I think it's uh, slightly less than that. I think this is trying to more, I think if you took away the concept of the purge and we were only watching this family just on their regular lives, obviously it wouldn't be as obvious and clear, but I think the point is that there are lots of middle, upper middle class people well, they're probably pretty they're damn rich. pretty high upper middle class, yeah. I mean, they're not billionaires or anything, but they're definitely on the upper edge of middle class. Right, sure. but they, they also, they interlaced the comment of 10 years ago, we could barely afford rent. Now, yeah. look at us now. Uh-huh. And it's it's this upper, higher, upper class, middle class people, these assholes that are totally okay with the way like the horrible way things are going because well i made it right if i made it why can't you and it's like because there are other factors that helped you Mm -hmm. make it well this the and and again if this if if you guys already don't believe in our politics this is probably not the episode to listen to us (laughs) but the the way the system is set up people who have to work hard to succeed. They have to sort of isolate themselves and look out for themselves in order to succeed. So once they do succeed, they now have a a self-focused mindset and then they it's easier to blame other people who don't succeed. Well, you're just not working hard enough, you know? And it and they're less likely to contribute to the well-being of others because they needed to isolate in order to succeed. And that's a problem, you know? And that's, again, something this movie is trying to share with you. He does say, Home again, home again, jiggity jig. Yep, which, okay, it is from a 17th century nursery rhyme to market to market. But it's from Blade Runner, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Home again, home again, jiggity jig. So he gets home and it's 62 minutes to purge. Which no fucking way. It doesn't feel like that's enough time. (laughs) I seem to remember that all the movies do this, right? Like, (laughs) 
the day of the purge, don't leave the fucking house. People get, like, trapped because their car breaks down or whatever. Why were you outside? But I think if I remember correctly, the second movie is kind of, kind of does this. Like, the poor and other such, like, they don't have the option to just stay home and not work, right? So they have to be out on the day of the purge and then th- bad things happen to them. Only the rich, who can afford to not do anything during the day, well, have the luxury at- of staying out. But he was at work. Yeah, because he was on the grind. Yes. But yes, he gets home an hour beforehand, and they have time to finish making dinner and Talk, eat, watch TV. Like, and there's then a bunch be surprised of things that happen. You're just like, like, oh shit, the purge is about to happen. Oh my god! You don't have an alarm set? <laughs> <laughs> like, come on. When he gets home, Lena Hetty is Lena there. Lena Hetty, who does, I gotta say, an amazing American accent. She does do a very good English like, it American is, accent. It is really, really unnoticeable. If you did not know that she was British, you wouldn't know from watching this movie. She's really good. Outside of Game of Thrones, she's really good. I was talking to Kelsey because she hasn't seen the movie Dread. She's really good as the villain. I think her name is Mama or something like that in Dread. She's pretty good. She explains that their daughter Zoe has been pouting all day Mm -hmm. and won't come out of her room. And that's because they are not allowing her to date a guy who is 18. We never get confirmation on how old she is. Yeah. So... I mean, she's still in high I mean, school. Look, I'm assuming he's graduated and she hasn't. You're a parent. You're allowed to have your own rules. Yeah. Apparently Whatever. in real life, she's older than he is. The actress know. is older than the actress. But so what's going on is the reason she's not coming out of her room is because she's up there with her boyfriend. Yeah. And they're having their stupid boyfriend, girlfriend shit. It's really very unimportant, except that it's going to cause her to kind of freak out for the rest of the movie. Yes. But like... And it's another example of the type of behavior that the purge elicits. Yes. So, obviously, if you couldn't guess, I mean, it's pretty clear that the boyfriend is here because he wants to kill the guy who's not letting them date. And you know the mo- I think the movie does a good job of of his argument that he's going to tell her cuz he's going to he's going to stick around and actually snake back in right before the security systems go up and his rationale to Zoe is Listen, he can't kick me out. So if we're ever going to have a conversation where he's not going to be able to just kick me out and ignore me, tonight's the night. And it's like, oh, okay, that's rational. But no, okay, you know, as a movie watcher, you know there's something else going on. Yeah, no, he just fully <laughs> wants to just shoot this guy. But his plan is terrible. Wait, what the fuck do you, th- how do you think Zoe's going to react? It, well, but also. You think she's just going to be cool with the fact that you killed her dad? <laughs> right, but also just his plan of like, I'm in the middle of the stairway. Like, I'm going to shoot you from, like, it just. Yeah, why seemed- not get closer? Yeah, why not why- get Real yeah, close uh-huh. where you're not going to miss. It seems really dumb, but anyway, that happens in a little bit. We get some clips. Uh, Ethan Hawke is watching TV, and we get some clips, and Lena Headey, too, about The Purge. And, you know, different different ideas. There's this guy on there talking about how the, de- the denial of our true selves is the problem. The fact it becomes that we a little religious and, don't yeah, let yeah. out our regression is the problem. Well, let's let's talk about that, actually, just very, very briefly. I don't have the actual numbers in front of me, but I was looking up some stuff about this sort of, like, catharsis theory, right? That if you let out your emotions, then you end up, like, purging yourself of those emotions, and then you can finally feel better. But, like, every study they do on this actually says the opposite. First of all, the fact that there's only one day a year means that 
for 364 days, you are bottling up that emotion and you are still feeling it until you hope to be able to purge yourself on the one night that you have the opportunity to do that. So for 364 days of the year, you're fucking pissed. So obviously it's not solving that problem. Something happens to you and then you're just like, oh man, I'm going to do this the next purge. And then that's all you're thinking about for the rest of the year. And studies are, studies will also show that forgiving and forgetting is much more conducive to like moving on and feeling better about being wronged than performing acts of aggression. Even if that's just like punching a pillow or something like that, that doesn't, it's not as cathartic as just moving on. And so, no, this would not be psychologically helpful in reality. Lena Hetty will talk to a neighbor. I forget why she's outside. I don't know why anyone would be outside this close to the purge, but whatever. Uh, She talks to a neighbor who comes over to bring her cookies. Seems like a weird excuse to come over just to to give the audience uh, the reason. You gotta introduce her. Right, you gotta introduce her, but like it seems weird. On the day of the purge, here's some cookies. You want some purge cookies? But I'm not having my purge party that I normally have that you're gonna be able to see from your TV screens that I actually am having. (laughs) Very, like, just not good. Not good. I, I think they could have found a better way to introduce this drama to the audience. Yeah, uh-huh. But so basically the woman explains that the rest of the neighborhood hates them because they have done nothing but profit off of these people buying his security mm-hmm. systems. And he feels good about providing them security. Exactly. But as we all know, resentment boils, resentment yeah. <laughs> boils up and it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're rich. It doesn't matter if you're poor. There will always be someone who has something you want. The Joneses. That you cannot yeah. have. That, uh-huh. Like, and it's a hard thing for people to understand. Like, especially, you know, the less money you have, it just seems like, how could you possibly want more when you have so much? Right. But people are greedy. Uh-huh. People are insatiable. Yes, that's a line from Leprechaun 4. (laughs) I am greedy. You are insatiable. (laughs) We're all leprechauns. Yeah. But in this this news article that he's watching on TV, they mention about how, like, crime goes away and about how good it is that this happens. Like you say, the catharsis stuff. The idea that opportunistic crime and crimes of passion would go away is absolutely ridiculous. Like, a lot of people commit crimes because, like, you know, you see a car... And and it's running and nobody's there, so you hop in and you drive away or other such opportunistic crimes. It's not like you see a car running and you go, okay, during the purge, I hope it's still running because I'll come back. Like, no, of course not. It's now is the opportunity. It seems like you can get away with it, so you do it. Those crimes would still absolutely happen. (laughs) And crimes of passion. You catch a man in bed with your wife. You kill him, right? Like, I'm not endorsing that i'm just saying it happens right so that would happen you know you wouldn't go oh i'm gonna wait till the purge and then i'm gonna get you like no we're talking like crimes of passion and crimes of opportunity would still absolutely definitely still happen but again you have to sort of twist your brain around this in order to okay let's just set up the premise of what would happen if that were true we're gonna get a setup uh explaining that the sun has this creepy baby thing that can go around. He can hear people, but they can't hear him. He can do lights and stuff. Uh, You can see in the dark. He has a little closet space. All of this is going to come back into play for when the stranger shows up. 
While they're at dinner, Lena Headey is going to make the comment, isn't this so good, not one carb? It's just like, God, fucking rich people. <laughs> fucking rich people. Like, on a night when people are dying, it's just like, well, we're eating so healthy. Aren't they eating pasta, though? I don't know, maybe But it's they a might be having vegetable of, yeah, pasta. Uh-huh. Which, by the way, have you ever had that? Because it's nasty. <laughs> people I'm eat sure squash pasta. There's no, way, there's no way in hell that there's no carbs in their dinner. <laughs> They also have this weird kind of subplot that the son is, like, obsessed with his vitals, but that doesn't come back up. It only comes back up in that he has a biometric watch that he wears. Mm. And that's going to be, it's going to just explain an emotional moment later on in the movie. Mm -hmm. I think it also just attributes to, like, these these kids have everything they could possibly want. Uh All the money in the world. The girl goes to a private school. He's got all this technology. And they're very smart. You know, I just think that it's like, yes, these kids are having what we, what as a society we have deemed to be a good childhood, but at what cost? And think about all the other kids in this world that don't have that. And it's just like, was it worth it for this one family? Mm -hmm. Or should we be spreading it out? And should we be making sure that everyone gets the right childhood? Yeah. When they sit down to watch the countdown to the purge, the son asks, why is this a good thing? And the father's like, it doesn't, it's okay. We can afford a protection. We're going to be fine. Yeah, I know bad things happen tonight, but we can afford protection. Okay, kids. Now, I know bad things do happen tonight, but we can afford protection. So we'll be fine just like always. No worries. Okay? Okay? Why don't you guys do it? Because we don't feel the need to, Charlie. That's all. So if you felt the need to, you would kill someone tonight? Look, I know this is difficult to understand at your age, but tonight allows people a release for all the hatred and violence and aggression that they keep up inside them. Okay? And yes, if your mother and I were so inclined, uh, we would participate. But the kid's also concerned about everyone else and everything else. What about the rest of the world? And I understand that they are also making a point here about parenthood. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, like... You want to make your kids feel safe, you know, yeah. When you're younger, when you're a kid, and you don't have people relying on you, it is easier to be more compassionate. Yes. That is absolutely true. And then you have a kids, and there's a switch that goes off in your brain, and you start to get more tribal but your tribe is your family and everything else is a threat to your family and so you care about what happens to you and your family and everyone else be damned now that doesn't mean that you can't have kids and also be compassionate about the world of course you can but on average and through biological responses in our brain we do tend to prioritize our direct family over others i've seen it in my friends that have kids (laughs) But the kid will also ask him, well, why don't you guys do it? Why don't you participate yeah, we don't if it's feel such the a need good to purge. thing? Yeah, we don't have those rage emotions or whatever. I think what they're pointing out here is, like, the parents are kind of indicting it, but also kind of supporting it. And that's very confusing for children, because it's just like, wait a minute. If you don't agree with it, then why do you support it? Yeah. Well, there's also performative support, right? Mm -hmm. Like, he needs to support it because it's his job. Yes. His job relies on it. But he puts out the flowers. But the flowers are also put out to make sure that purgers stay away from you and don't harm you because you are 
supporting, you know, like think about like Halloween, something that's not as politically charged, right? If you are a house with no decorations or whatever, you're probably more likely to get egged or teepeed, right? You put up your your decorations, you have candy at the ready, you're less likely to be attacked by the tricks, right? In the same way- But again, it can happen either way. It can. Which is what happens here. Yes. <laughs> but he is doing sort of performative support. Whether he actually supports it or not, he is performing his support. And ultimately, is there a difference? Because his performative support is communicated outwardly as if it were real, and that only reinforces the idea that this knight is right. So what's the difference? And some of you might be thinking, well, doesn't that make it more clear that obviously they live in fear of it? Yes. Yeah. And that's another, that is another point. It's a horrible reason to support something is because you live in fear of it. I right. <laughs> but I mean, like, if this did happen in our country, it would create fear. Mm hmm. Not only, like we said, not only in the people that are most affected by it, but it affects everyone. Yeah. Like, even people who can afford to protect themselves. It's it's scary to think of what would happen to you if you didn't say you supported it. Yeah. And that's another thing happening here. And so there are several layers. And I think that is what is very good here. Because you don't just like these people. You don't just hate these people. There is a gray spot for most people, and it becomes difficult to discern who is the good guy and who right. is the bad guy. Mm -hmm. I think it allows, it gives you better perspective to sort of reflect on yourself and those around you when you realize that you can like people and also feel like those people are doing something bad, right? It's okay. People have more than one thought in their brain, and it's not just a matter of good versus evil. Because this movie isn't good versus evil. There is an evil side, but there is no, like, good side here. Like, obviously, the purgers that we're going to meet later, they're terrible. There is no good side to them. Well, unless you want to argue that they're polite. Yeah, the polite purger is literally how he's credited. Yes. Uh -huh. And that is, it's a wonderful look at polite society. Yes. Uh -huh. what, is, what does politeness mean and what is it really good for and does it actually have anything to say about what our true character is? Although... I would say being polite, there are benefits to it. I'd much rather people be polite <laughs> than jackasses. For sure. I would much rather my kids be fake-ass polite mm -hmm. to me every day than be dicks to me on the regular. Yeah. <laughs> much rather that. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, you know what? You do like him a little bit. <laughs> anyway... While the daughter and her boyfriend are having their conversation, Ethan Hawke is going to be talking to Lena Hetty, and she's not going to be super comfortable with everything that's going on. Lena, it, uh, again, very much not okay with the purge, uh -huh. but because of society, she pretends like she is, and she's like Ethan Hawke, yeah. she cares about her children more than anything. Yeah. But she, much more than Ethan Hawke, feels very strongly that this is bad. You know, she also cares about her children's souls. <laughs> yes, her name is Mary, by the way. I don't think we've said it. Mary and James are our couple. But, so she's kind of upset. And Ethan Hawke's response is, let's go relax. Yeah, uh-huh. Meanwhile, people are dying all yes. around you. uh-huh. It's one thing to celebrate. That's worse. But 
taking this as an opportunity to be like, we're safe, let's just relax, is also kind of icky. The kid is going to overhear again Ethan Hawke watching the TV, and it says, you know, this is just an excuse to be the eradication of the so-called non-contributing members of society. We're looking at some live feeds from around the country and discussing The Purge with criminologist Tommy Agard. Thanks, Nicole. Now, is The Purge really about releasing aggression and containing violence? Or is it something else? Purge detractors often postulate this evening is actually about the elimination of the poor, the needy, the sick, those unable to defend themselves, the eradication of these so-called non-contributing members of society, ultimately unburdening the economy. Is the purge really about money? Either way, crime is down. The economy is flourishing. And this kid is really, really having a tough time feeling like this is wrong and feeling like his parents support it. I just think it's very, very good. And it explains why he does what he does. Yeah. So what's going to happen is they're going to go into lockdown and he is going to be paying attention to the cameras. And eventually there's a man that's going to be roaming the streets begging for help. And this man is never named. He gets a name in, I think, the second movie, maybe the third movie. I don't remember. We He comes back. But in this movie, he's just the bloody stranger. He is bloody, he is begging for help, and no one is helping him. So what Charlie's going to do is something that, I gotta say, the first time I watched this movie, I had like a visceral reaction to. It's not just about himself, and that's the thing. That's what we're saying about parenthood. As a kid, you're not considering everyone in this house relies on me. Right. You are considering the whole world as a whole. It's the parents that are considering, oh, my God, my kids' lives are at stake. Right. And, like, so I've bought into this premise, and I don't agree with it, but I have bought into it. And when he ends up disarming their security system in order to let this guy in, my immediate visceral response was, fucking Charlie, what are you doing? You're putting your whole entire family in danger? But obviously, when you reflect on it, Charlie is, like, the one unambiguously good person here. He is the only one who's who looks at how it affects other people that that don't have the resources that he does and he's like, "No, I want to do something to help this man. I can't help everyone, but I can help this man." He's the only one. Later on, his dad's going to sort of like come to that conclusion, but only after the bloody stranger has proven himself worthy of being protected. That's not true. Charlie doesn't require the bloody stranger to prove himself. He doesn't prove anything. He does. He, the bloody stranger, uh, we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but the bloody stranger will say, you know what? Protect your family. That's after Ethan Hawke has changed his mind. No, it's not. That's why he changes his mind. No, it isn't. Ethan Hawke changes his mind after Lena Headey says, don't touch me. Look at what you're doing. And his daughter says it too. His daughter says nothing will ever be the same again. Yeah. But it's after she says, don't touch me. Look at what you're doing. Ethan Hawke stops. And after everything else has gone on, like the, the guy is no longer in trouble, except that they don't. They untie don't untie him. him. He gets out somehow. But they never explain that. <laughs> you know, they show. They show that they he show gets him out. get out. Yes, but it's, oh, I don't. It, I don't remember that. It's bullshit that they don't help him. But point being, it's not until everything has calmed down and Ethan Hawke has already made the decision he's not going to give the guy up. The guy says, "Just save your children." Mm-hmm. And Ethan Hawke just walks away because he's like, "No, I'm going to save you, even though I don't want to." Yeah. But 
I'm not going to bother to untie yeah. you. <laughs> so anyway, yes, Charlie lets him in. James rearms the security system, but he still gets in. At the same time, and it's very important that you understand that all of this is happening at the same time. Yes. Because it's very, very chaotic. The kid lets the guy in. So James, our father character, Ethan Hawke, is dealing with that. At the same exact time, that is when the boyfriend, the 18-year-old, will come out and shoot at the dad. He totally misses, which is just, it's just the stupidest plan and ever. James does this cool, like, sort of, like, underarm, like, he protects himself. He turns sideways so as to reduce his his, uh, his silhouette, right, and not get, not be as a big a target. And then shoots, like, sort of under his arm and... And he ends up pegging this kid who's going to eventually bleed out and die, we'll find out later. Mm-hmm. But he was just shot at. This guy has just gotten into his home, and because he was shot at, he couldn't handle uh-huh. the guy coming into his home. So now he doesn't know where that guy is. And his daughter runs off with the with the dying boy. Uh-huh. So he doesn't know where his daughter is. There's some random dude hanging out in his house, <laughs> and he just got shot at by a kid that he just probably killed. Uh-huh. And remember, guys, he did not want to kill anyone this yes. evening. And in, when he finds out later that he did, in fact, kill the guy, he is personally fucking devastated. He, he, he faces no consequences, at least no legal consequences. It's purge night. But his soul is damaged. As opposed to other people that treat the purge as an opportunity to cleanse your soul, him having killed somebody is a scar on his soul. Which is how it should be. Ethan Hawke, the way he finds out he killed the kid Mm -hmm. is because he sees him. Like, he walks up and he He just He finds him. him. Yeah, he's looking for the kid and he's looking for his daughter. He, He hides his son and his wife in their security room. And then he goes looking for her. Mary says, let me go. He's not looking to kill me. He just tried to kill you. It'll be safer for me. And James is like the whole like manly man of the house. I'm the dad. I'm the husband. You know, sort of like, no. Well, there's also a guy <laughs> yeah, running there around. There is a guy and- running around here. I will put myself at risk with this kid in order to protect you. Which, remember, guys, like, if you keep thinking, well, Ethan Hawke shouldn't be worried about the guy, he's he's go- he's not armed, and he's whatever. He doesn't he, fucking he know has, that. He has no idea. He has <laughs> no clue. All he knows is his son let some guy in his house. On purge night. Yes. Not a good idea. He's gonna find out later that the reason that the guy is out is because he's homeless. He doesn't have anywhere to go. 100%. And yes, absolutely, we should, we should try to help these people. But at the same time, at yes, the same time... You don't know? This could be a trap for all you fucking know. Totally. You don't know. Yeah. While Ethan Hawke sees that he killed the kid, this is a cool shot. The guy is behind him. Yeah, and, just and walks it's out by. of focus, and he's watching him react to the fact that he killed this kid. I do think he's making sort of a judgment about him right now, but he also doesn't want to reveal himself, and so then he walks away. And you don't know what's going on, just like he doesn't. We don't know, is he stalking him right now? But no, he's not. <laughs> Zoe will go to the room while the dad's doing that. She'll go to the security room, and she sees her mom, and she's just like, I don't know why my boyfriend did that. I don't know why my dad had to do that. I'm so sorry, Like, but I can't. I can't be around you guys right now. Mm-hmm. So she leaves, and Lena is desperately trying to get her to come into the room. Meanwhile, the son is freaking out because he's seeing on the cameras that all these perjurers are showing up. Yes. So Lena, Mary, her name is Mary in the movie, can't get Zoe to come into the room. She runs away. 
and Mary is trying to help her son. So her son is showing her these people are here. So now Ethan Hawke is going to have to deal with that. He goes to the, you can see that the perjurer is talking. So Ethan Hawke shows up, turns the sound on. Mm-hmm. And the polite perjurer is saying, Let me introduce this. We are some fine, young, very educated guys and gals. We've gotten gussied up in our most terrifying guises, as we do every year, ready to violate, annihilate, and cleanse our souls. But things took a turn. Our target escaped us, and uh, several of your dear neighbors informed us that you, the Sandins, have inexplicably given him sanctuary. Mr. and Mrs. The man you're sheltering is nothing but a dirty homeless pig. A grotesque menace to our just society who had the audacity to fight back, killing one of us when we attempted to execute him tonight. The pig doesn't know his place and now he needs to be taught a lesson. You need to return him to us. Alive. So that we may purge as we are entitled. Here's the plan, Sandins. You have until our provisions arrive, provisions which will help us break into your elegant home. If you don't, if you don't deliver him by the aforementioned time, we'll release the beast on him and on you. And um, we can enter any home we want and we will want as wanting as our will on this fine night. Yeah, we have the tools, we have the resources. So like, Again, it's a matter of resources, right? Not only do the people with resources, are they the only ones that get to protect themselves, but the people with resources are also the ones who are most equipped to attack others and to assert their will on other people, right? Just like these guys, we have the tools, we can break into your house. Yep. It's the rich run everything. Yep. (laughs) They immediately cut the power, and Mary starts freaking the fuck out. And she's like, what the hell? There is a generator, so it won't be completely cut. Because, of course, what security system is any good if you have external power that somebody can cut? But she's just like, what the hell? To her husband, Ethan Hawke. Mm -hmm. I thought you said we were safe. He says, we have tested the system. It works 99% of the time. It looks good. It's strong. People stay away. It looks good. It's not built for worst-case scenarios. Is it impenetrable? No, nothing's impenetrable. Things like this are not supposed to happen in our neighborhood. Things like this are not supposed to happen in our neighborhood. What a terrible reaction. It's not built for worst-case scenarios. Yes. It's meant to frighten people away. It's meant to make them think, oh, these people are too hard. Let's go Mm. to the easier people, which again is the problem. It's security (laughs) theater. Yes. So he's like, look, it's us or it's this random homeless man. Uh Let's get the homeless man out. We're going to force him out with our guns. We're still not going to do anything. We're not going to hurt him. That's not what we do. Uh But we're not going to let our family get hurt either. Uh They're trying to say that because I didn't personally contribute to somebody being harmed in some way, then I don't have any responsibility for it. But again, in the metaphor, yes, you do. (laughs) 
So the parents are going to go looking for this guy. They're going to leave the son alone. And the son is going to be tormented by the antics of these people. And this is the famous trailer shots. It's it's silly. Oh, it's yeah, really, have, really silly. The playful acting out for the cameras is pretty silly is what I wrote down. But it's a trailer shot and it freaks the kid out. And these, oh, we haven't mentioned that they're wearing these masks yeah. of, like, big smiling people. That's what I was promised for the new kids. Because if you look at the cover, it's in the background. It's on the cover. Not in the movie. It does not <laughs> exist in the movie. I thought that they were going to wear those, and I was going to be, like, side-by-side comparison shots. Yeah. But no. Uh-huh. So because he's freaking out because of these people, he ends up using his weird baby doll thing to get the homeless guy to his secret spot in his closet. Yeah. Okay. While that is happening, Ethan Hawke is going to be talking to the polite perjurer, and he's going to explain to him, look, man, I don't want this guy in here. My son made a mistake. I would like to give him to you. Please give me time. And this guy comes up. (laughs) Yes. I kind of love this moment. (laughs) It makes the polite perjurer an endearing villain. He is still a fucking villain, but it's fun. (laughs) This guy comes up. He's like, just give us the Fucker. And uh, the blonde, polite perjurer just shoots the guy in His the head. Friend. Totally forgot uh-huh. about this. Totally took me off guard. Probably took me off guard the yeah. first time I saw it, too. And, and he, yes, I think it's brilliant villain characterization. Right. And he does say outright something that James has to realize, which is, he was my friend. Sorry about that. I don't condone that kind of behavior. But just keep in mind, Mr. Sandin. He was my friend. And you are not. Our equipment is arriving soon. And we will get in. Send out he or that. Referring to the friend he just killed. Will be the. And yes, it's very overly, but that's the point is he is well-educated and well-groomed and it's all performance as if to say, I am a better human. And some people might argue this is ridiculous, over the top, no one would talk like that. You're kind of missing the point. Yes. And also, again, kind of like what we said with my Valentine, yes, maybe they are a little over the top, but you need that to keep it a movie and to keep it interesting. It makes it a little interesting, sure. And it keeps it, you know, surprises you and takes you off guard, this kind of behavior. And movies need to do that. Yeah. Instead of, you know, if it was just real life, if it was just real life, then we wouldn't have the fucking movie. So get over it. Meanwhile, Zoe finds Charlie's little machine. And she tells him, I'm going to go to your secret spot. Yeah. And everyone's like, no. And Charlie's like, no. (laughs) And she does. And so when James is looking for her and looking for the bloody stranger, what he comes across is the bloody stranger holding Zoe at gunpoint because she had her boyfriend's gun. Now, I imagine that a lot of people are mad about this. Imagine a lot of people don't like that he did this. And my response is, it's very realistic and very human. Uh He is desperate and caught in a corner. Is it right? No. But is what's happening to him right? right? No. He is the only one here who is in immediate mortal danger until things start escalating, right? And so he's the one who's literally protecting himself versus, you know, just a bunch of rich people keeping themselves locked in a secure house and ascribing it to, I need to protect my family. He needs to protect his own life right this second. Right. And again, again, you might be like, well, I'm mad that he 
was willing to take somebody else's life. They're willing to take his. He also wasn't willing to. He didn't want to do that. His idea was, hey, just protect me and your daughter's fine. He doesn't want to hurt the daughter versus the perjurers who want to hurt him. Mm-hmm. And in their conversation, Lena Hetty's going to come up behind him and hit him with like a lamp or something. I can't remember what it is, but hit him. And then there's a struggle. And that's how they get him all tied up. And this is where James has to start confronting what he's about to do. He thinks he is doing the pragmatic thing, which is if I just take care of this guy, push him out there, they kill him like so many other people get killed. It's just one more person in the statistic, but I get to protect my family and then this will all pass. But first, Lena Hetty says, I guess you can, baby. Baby, I need you right now. Okay. Hey, look at me. Huh? Look at me. Mary. Mary, it's wrong. Listen, don't have a choice. It's so wrong, baby. This is so wrong. No, we don't have any other choice. We don't, don't have a choice. Don't touch me. We, we, no, okay, look at you. No, no, no. Don't touch me. When did this happen? James, look at you. What the hell happened, us, James? Look at what you're doing. Not before she helps him and Tie him up. hurts yeah, uh-huh. him a lot. And that's what like causes the kids to freak the fuck out. Oh yeah. They like she he makes her her like hurt put his her, wound. Yeah, put her finger no, it's like a in bar. his wound or something it's like, like a that. Crowbar. Or oh yeah. Like to hurt him more. And then when Zoe's there and she's all upset and he's like, No, it's okay, we got him. We're gonna make it through tonight and everything's gonna be okay. I'm so sorry about Henry. So sorry, but we're gonna make it through tonight, all right? We will, and everything is gonna be okay. It's not gonna be okay. What? Look at what you're doing. Nothing is ever going to be okay again. Which is compelling stuff. Ethan also has a couple of lines while he's tying this guy up. One being, you are going to die tonight either way. You can either die like a man, or you can get my wife and children killed, too. I understand what he's saying. I also totally am just like, you also want this guy to kill himself for you. Right. See, and I think that's part of the point of of this family, what they represent for the, the, the metaphor of what this movie is, is that just because what you are doing is rational doesn't mean that it's the best choice. He is being very rational, James is, right? He is trying to protect his family, and who the fuck doesn't want to do that? But you always got to ask, at what cost? And in this case, Zoe's able to recognize the cost of our souls. Yeah, and he also will say, you are making this much more difficult than it needs to be. You are making this much more difficult than it needs to be. Can you see me? Rich people just always just be like, can't you just make it easier on us? Right, yeah, I can't. I I just really rather, it's the whole, like, bussing homeless people, right? Like, uh, I'm like, I know you're homeless and that really sucks, but I'd rather not have to look at you. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's really fucking shitty. You know, I know, yes, it sucks that, you know, oh, man, my city that I love being in, it looks so dirty and grimy and crime is up. And it's like, yeah. Because there are people so that have no resources. Do something about yeah, it. Don't do just, something about don't it. Don't just kick them out. <laughs> yeah, God damn it. Anyway, he decides, James does decide that I'm not going to throw him out. And what he ends up doing is he he gives a gun to Charlie, right? 
and Mary comments on this. You just gave our son a gun. You want to tell me what the hell we're doing? We're going to fight. Yeah, and so the plan is, because they know they're coming in, the perjurers are, so we might as well get ready with our guns, ready to shoot them as soon as they enter our homes. Mm -hmm. And boy, oh boy, does Ethan Hawke do some fucking up here. Yeah, okay, I will say... It is kind of a low-budget movie, but it is also a little bit realistic considering the circumstances. Most of the kills are just boring gun kills. I loved it. I felt but it, it is, felt real. It is him sort of wrecking shop. Yes. It's also more Even sort of being a badass. It's it's more justified revenge porn like in the new kids. Right, and you're feeling <laughs> so good about it, which is why the ending is so disappointing. But they're making a point. Yes. I guess. He he <laughs> makes the sacrifice. There needs to be material consequences for doing the right thing. Otherwise, what's the point in doing the right thing? Like, how are you going to say it's the right thing if it's just the thing with the least consequences? It needs to have consequences in order for doing it to be meaningful in any way. Way less satisfying. Maybe. But anyway, all this, the invasion happens. The purgers, more people show up with equipment. They p yank all the bars and all the the security doors off of all the windows and the doors and they make their way in and it's going to be a lot of just randomly shooting people <laughs> a lot of people dying he has this riot shotgun which he fires way too many shells from there's going to be a series of like you say some really cool deaths including one where he's getting choked by his own shotgun and he just brains the guy with a with a pool ball I especially like when he axes somebody in the back and yes. then shoots him for good measure just yeah, he in does case. That. Uh huh. Confirm the kill. I wrote he down. He smashes a guy's face into the. He just killed a whole lot of teenagers. Yes. <laughs> They're all teenagers. Or 20 somethings. They're in college, I think, is the clear point. Maybe. Yeah. Uh huh. But while this is all happening, the polite purger finds pictures of the teenage daughter and he says, Oh, make sure to find her. Keep her alive. Save her for me. And she hears that. And that's going to make. Her killing him that much more satisfying. Yes. She's, she's hiding under the bed him. in her room when he's in there and says that to one of the other perjurers. Yes. While all this is happening, the father, Ethan Hawke, ends up getting stabbed, I By think. the polite perjurer. Yes, by the main guy, yeah, And he stabbed. thanks him for allowing them to unleash the beast and, yeah, but in their home. Then the daughter shoots him. Uh-huh. Uh, but then there's still more perjurers, so the, the kids and the mom are freaking out. And that's when the neighbors show up. And start killing all the purgers. Killing the rest of them. Oh, you know what? The neighborhood's standing up for their neighbors. Oh, thanks. Uh, no. <laughs> no, not at all. And so, you should know that because of the conversation that Mary had with her. And the fact that, again, she asked her, are you having a purge party? And she told her no. And then they found out later, no, no, they were definitely yeah. having one. And what is it that the polite purger told them? We were hunting this guy down, and several of your neighbors narked on you. Well, but that's totally normal behavior, because these people don't want themselves to get hurt. But and still, Ethan Hawke would have done the same thing. I don't know about necessarily that, but maybe. But, I mean, the point is, is that they probably were like, oh, yeah, those fuckheads they have your guy go kill him you know so that they could get the place opened up yeah, so that uh -huh. they could come in because here's what's going to happen well first we're going to see james die right yeah and charlie's going to put his biometric watch on him so we're going to hear the beep and then the beeping slows down and then it comes to a stop and so james is dead ethan hawk dies in this movie 
But so they're thanking the neighbors and she goes, well, don't thank us too much. The truth is you're ours, not theirs. What does that mean? What does that mean? We're yours. So she's just like, we were planning on killing your husband, but he's not alive anymore. So I guess we'll just have to kill you guys. Uh Um, And she's like, because you laughed in our faces and used our money to buy it to make your house better. Right. You got rich off of all of our money. And then you rubbed it in our faces. And you think that they're about to kill them all. They're doing their whole Blessed Be monologue, which they do bring up again in the uh-huh. other Purge movies. Yeah, That's brought Blessed up again. Be America, A Nation Reborn. Blessed Be the New Founding Fathers. But in the midst of all this, one of them gets blown away by this bloody stranger that everyone forgot about. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and we did see him earlier. Again, they did not untie him, but he crawled out of it. This is one of my critiques of the movie, is that there are several points in the movie where there is basically only one outcome, right? Otherwise, the movie would end now, right? And it can't end now. So, we know they get out of this somehow. James is in several of those moments, right? And they just... They drag out the moment for tension's sake, but because we know that he's gonna get out of this, there isn't any tension. And... That's one critique I could have about this movie, in addition to the fact that a lot of the gun kills are kind of boring, as righteous as they may be. So he kills one of them to make it clear that, put your fucking shit down. Yeah. You're done. Uh Uh-huh. He saves the family, and he's like, all right, do you want me to kill him? Because I can if you want me to. And (sighs) Mary says no. Kelsey has a problem with this. Well, I have an even bigger problem with the very end. So that's annoying in itself. She's just like, there's going to be no more killing. She this says, we're going to be peaceful We're going to play the rest of this night out in motherfucking peace. Does anyone have a problem with that? And one thing I will say is that it's like, okay, we're going to get to when the purge ends and then it's going to be back to peace, right? So what the purge does is it leaves many folks to be thankful for things like you know, the laws we have and the lawmakers and law enforcement and polite society every other night that isn't the purge. It's been forever since I've seen the other movies, so I I'm I know they get into this, but I don't know exactly how deep, so bear with me. But the New Founding Fathers are likely using this night to their advantage in other ways than what is immediately obvious with the things like getting rid of homeless people by killing them, etc., It's more sort of neoliberal ammunition. More rich people getting more rich by doing crimes on a a day that they said was okay to do crimes on. But also making everyone else thankful for the moments that aren't the purge, which they've set up to benefit them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm sure, I know, because we've seen the second and the third movie. I think that's as far as we got, right? Was the first three? Maybe I don't remember. I don't. I, I don't just remember that the last one we saw, it was just like it's just getting, it's getting further and further away from being a movie and just being political. And like I, I agree with your politics, but I need it to be a movie too. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, we'll talk about those. But Mary is going to look at her husband lying dead and her children lying with him, like crying over his body. At which point, Grace is going to take this as an opportunity to try to take the shotgun. Mary's going to grab it first and butter in the face and slam her face down on the table, breaking her nose and like blood is gushing out. Shoot her! 
<laughs> Did you hear me, Grace? No more killing tonight. Is it that hard to understand? I'd blow her face off. I would have done it in a fucking heartbeat. I think it would Give probably be... fucking excuse. It would probably be more satisfying to smash her face in and then sit there and watch her have to deal with that fact. More than once. That's the other problem. She only hits her once in the face. And I'm well, like, she butts her in the come face. On! And then she slams her face down in the table and she is just gushing blood. More. More. Kelsey is much more vindictive than I am. But again, like I say, forgive and forget is much more conducive to a healthy emotional state. Like literally survey somebody after the fact and somebody who has forgiven and forgotten is doing much better emotionally than somebody who is letting it stew or who acts out their aggression in the form of violence. We get the news broadcast talking about, oh, man, it's the most successful purge ever. And that's probably propaganda. How do they measure success? Oh, no, I don't know that they said the most successful, but the most participated in. Yeah. The most participants, which, again, how do you know that? Right. How are you keeping track of that? Uh Uh-huh. I would think that most people would do what they're going to do with masks on so people don't know who they are and what atrocities they commit. uh Uh-huh. But, okay, And they explain that there are public vigils going on where people thank people for their sacrifices. But is that also just propaganda? Could it potentially be a protest? Or them mourning the the dead and being being like, this sucks. And the way you need to frame it, if you want people to still support it, is that these people are thanking the dead. Maybe. Instead of mourning them. They, of course, say that Dallas had the most participants. Which is is funny. And then we end with, I lost my two sons. I was a proud American, but not anymore. I lost my two sons last night. My boys. I was a proud American. Not anymore. This country is taking everything from me. I have been thinking a lot about suburban horror. Like if I was to do like a video essay project on some sort of horror topic, I think the first one I wrote down was like suburban horror. I want to talk about suburban horror, how the suburbs are traditionally viewed as like a safe space, right? We're just normal folks go to be safe. And then when you have something like Halloween, it's a violation of that safety, I mean, Halloween the movie, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that safe place can be corrupted by, like, a murderer or something like that. But the thing I like about The Purge is that it indicts suburbia. The fact that it is safe or seems to be a safe, uncorrupted place that can then be corrupted by a murderer is in itself sort of – not sort of. It is classist. As if – Hey, uh, stuff like this is not supposed to happen in our neighborhood. It's not supposed to happen to us is a way of saying it's supposed to happen to other people. And I'm okay with that. Since I'm in suburbia, I'm safe. I can remove myself from that equation. And I don't need to feel need to feel guilty that other people are disadvantaged. Yes, I do like movies like this that point out that people that seem perfectly normal and, and wonderful are evil under the surface just like get out did just uh-huh. just like the people under the stairs did uh-huh yeah there are a lot of movies like that yeah and so it's not just so i i that's probably what i would do is like that would be act 2 of that essay so act 1 would be about you know the corruption of a safe place a secure place the breaking of that safety by this force like a Michael Myers or something like that. And there are plenty of movies that do that and then segue that into 
the atrocities that might happen in suburbia, maybe like a last house on the left or something, and then ultimately sort of an indictment of that expectation of safety. Like that expectation of safety that you have is a privilege. And you need to recognize that. You cannot just make that assumption that you deserve to be safe because you've made it to suburbia. Mm-hmm. Anyway. That's probably what I would do. So outline done. Go ahead and take it if you want. I'll probably never do it. <laughs> so Kelsey, what do you think the purge has on Rotten Tomatoes? I'm sure it's high. I will say 86. Has a 39. What? Yes. Half social allegory, half home invasion thriller, The Purge attempts to make an intelligent point, but ultimately devolves into numbing violence and tired cliches. I knew I was going a little high, but oh my god. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone sort of sees the point, but the fact that they just dismiss it, I don't know. I think that this is a point that not a lot of movies make, and that sometimes a cogent point is a good thing. And... Personally, I probably feel this less so than Kelsey, that like it it's it's not only making a good point, but also it's a good movie. I'll probably score it lower than than Kelsey's going to, because I think there are definitely flaws with this as a movie. It's not the most exciting thing in the world. There are better home invasion stories. The premise is very heavy-handed. But it's more than just its premise. It's making a commentary about something else. Using this very heavy-handed premise. Yeah, 39 is way too low. Uh, Metacritic is a 41, a cinema score of a C. Oh my god. So Kelsey, tell me, do you think that this is overrated or underrated? Underrated? Uh Uh-huh. What would you give it? I was going to give it like a 78. Okay. I think it's very good. I You're right. It could be more exciting. But I, I, and I don't personally like home invasion movies. I usually think they're stupid. So I thought this yeah. was a really good What is it? The Strangers or whatever I didn't oh, like. God. Everybody wants us to watch that movie. And yeah. Zero interest in watching it. We hate that movie. Uh, but I really like this. So yeah, I'm going to give it a 78. I'm going to give it a 72. I think this is firmly a 70s movie. Uh, it is it is definitely good. And I think that's what the, the 70s are to me. Is there? It's a good movie if it's in the 70s. Uh, and I think it's worth watching. It's just I think there are better movies. But I think that it's a smart movie, regardless of how obvious you think the point it's making is. I also want to mention that it seems like Ethan Hawke sort of became like this sort of horror movie icon <laughs> like he was also in uh, what's the other movie that we another turned off everybody wants to everybody watch wants sinister. to watch it because everyone says it's so great sinister hated it hated it not turned it off yeah it is not a movie for us <laughs> i thought it was so fucking cliched and it was so obvious what it was trying to do and it's supposed to be intense and scary and it absolutely wasn't and it was yeah not a fan of sinister turned it off i don't know if we're ever going to watch it on the show so if you guys want us to i'm sorry not an indictment of people that like it i totally get why you might like it just we did not (laughs) ethan hawk sort of you know became like this horror movie guy all of a sudden because he was friends with some filmmakers you know which is cool i like ethan hawk i think he's a fun guy (laughs) 
Isn't he in Gattaca? He is in Gattaca. He's in Gattaca. I always think of him in Gattaca. Uh-huh. Because I saw Gattaca every year for like seven years in every science class. And I like, I'm not like a film school nerd and like... I've never seen the 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 sunrise the, series, the midnight, yeah, before before sunrise, sunrise no, yeah, whatever. Fuck I, that is. Never seen those no, movies. We've never watched them because I don't need to. <laughs> also, I thought what what's it called? Boyhood was okay. Oh, I did not it like okay. it. It was bad. The the problem was is they invested a lot of effort into this little kid that they had no idea if he was going to be a good actor, and it turned out he wasn't. <laughs> But I mean, I, I otherwise I kind of you know I really like Ethan Hawke, so glad to see him in another movie here. So Kelsey, that is our Purge Night episode. Happy purging, everyone! Have a safe purge. Have a safe purge. What are we watching next week? Next week is April Fool's Day, guys. Yep, yep. There are no more April Fool's movies, as far as I know. It's done. But there are plenty of joke movies that went poorly. Jokes going bad. Jokes going bad. So the first movie we're going to be watching is The Burning, which has been on my list for forever. Okay. Never seen it. No, neither have I. For a long time. Uh, You can imagine what happens to the guy at the beginning of the film (laughs) and why he's going to exert revenge later on. It's in the title. We're going to pair it with Joyride, which has been recommended to us. By Jeffrey. He's recommended a few movies in the past. Jeffrey, I know you wanted us to watch it with Duel. I really want to watch Duel. But both movies are old and this one's just on the cusp and we need a movie that starts with a prank gone wrong. And there are not a lot of those movies that we haven't already seen. And there basically aren't any modern prank gone wrong horror movies that we haven't already covered on the show. I was or very that, disappointed to just learn. Or that we don't want to cover, I think, is the <laughs> alternative, right? The ones we haven't covered are ones that we kind of don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what we're going to be watching next week. Yes. The Burning and Joyride. All right, excited. Stop messing with people, guys. <laughs> Pranks gone wrong. <laughs> that would probably be my second Video essay. <laughs> Prank gone wrong subgenre. Really, really tired of that, I gotta say. So I want to know I'm not. what they do with these. I like these movies. <laughs> it is April Fool's, though. It's that time of year. Yeah. So that is next week. Until then, you can always find us on our website, podcemetery.com, or on Twitter, at podcemetery. Make sure to subscribe to us in your podcatcher of choice and rate and review. A five-star written review is the biggest help you can give us there, but even bigger than that is sharing us with your friends, and even bigger than that is listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very, very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? Get the hell out of my house.
I ain't gonna ask you again. And she's like, okay. Home again, home again, jiggity jig. Fucking Charlie, what are you doing? You're putting your whole entire family in danger. Oh man, it's the most successful purge of the night. We are, it's most successful. Fuck. Oh man, it's the most successful purge ever. And what do you think the purge has on Rotten Tomatoes? Sure. To- hold on. I said tomatoes. <laughs> oh, it's April Fool's Day. 